the first, the third, the fifth, and the sixth. 114. The first Noel the angel did say Was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay In fields where they lay keeping their sheep On a cold winter's night that was so deep Noel, 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 born is the King of Israel, and by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent, and to follow the star wherever it went. Noel, 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 born is a king of Israel. Then entered in those well reverently upon their knee and offered there in his presence their gold and myrrh and frankincense. Noel, 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 born is a king of Israel. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made her and earth of dawn with his blood mankind hath brought. Noel, Noel, born is a king of Israel. And let's turn over to 124. We three kings of Orient are. <clears throat> We're just going to sing the chorus after the first verse and then after the last verse. We're going to skip the chorus on verses 2, 3, and 4. Otherwise, we'll be here till tomorrow singing this song. All right, here we go. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain moor and mountain following yonder star. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever ceasing now.
us all to reign on the third frankincense to offer have I incense songs a deity nigh prayer and praising all men raising worship him God on high myrrh is mine its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, still in a stone cold tomb. Glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, sounds through the earth and sky. Oh, star. Stop and think about those things when you're walking through the mall and you hear these songs. Think about the real words, amen? And some of them are absolutely wonderful. 113, we're going to get all the good songs in tonight. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Sarah, I think we need a little assistance right here. All right, 113, we're going to sing all four verses. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power and we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Fear not, then said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior of a pure virgin pride. To free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Now to the Lord sing praises, all you with goodness praise. And with true love and brotherhood each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas, all others thus deface. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are tidings of comfort and joy. And Lord, we don't have to fear about them. We ask now that you bless the service, bless us as we study your word. We ask that you would give strength and wisdom, protect us, that we may serve thee. And I've uh, got good news from the Spitzky family. Uh, this was Wednesday, Tuesday. Okay, 
Jonathan Ronald Fitzy. Uh, eight pounds, five ounces. No, eight pounds, eight ounces. 8.5 pounds. And uh, I think mom and baby are doing well. Uh, at least that's the last I heard. Not sure about dad, but never are about him anyway. So uh, keep the Fitzkies in prayer if you would. If they've got a new little bundle of joy that wakes up every two hours all night long and all those fun things that you'll remember back to those days if you know about them. Uh, and if you don't, don't worry about them. Uh, but uh, they can be uh, quite trying at times. So please uh, pray for the family if you would. And uh, we're glad to have Teddy back with us. And uh, keep Brother George in prayer. She's in the Philippines for the next week or so. And uh, not exactly sure when he's coming back. And uh, got Brother Clayton off at the airport yesterday morning. Drove out to MacArthur Islip Airport. He went back to Ohio, and uh, so uh, I think we had a good time on Sunday, and then again, Saturday night was just fantastic, and so praise the Lord for uh, all of those things. Now, Saturday, we won't be having our regular uh, visitation and prayer meeting because of the children's program. If you have children uh, between the ages of 4 and 12, or if you want to act like a child, we can't. Uh, no, we won't let you act like a child and get away with it. But uh, uh, if you want to bring some friends with you, you can always say that they won't go in without me, and that's how you get in, all right? So if you find a kid, uh, preferably not one of mine, all right? Find somebody that doesn't come to church, and you just say, I need to go in with them. That's your ticket to get into the children's program Saturday. And uh, that starts at 3 o'clock. It's going to be a good time. I think Casey is going to show up, isn't he? Okay. And uh, those of you that don't know who Casey is, you'll just have to find a kid and show up Saturday afternoon and find out who Casey is. All right. But uh, it's a lot of, going to be a lot of fun, and uh, the children are going to have a great time. Uh, keep John and Linda in prayer uh, with the accident that was uh, Sunday on their way back after church. They were involved in an accident strangest accident report I've ever read. And uh, it says that uh, what the accident report says happened is, a, is just absolutely a physical impossibility. Uh, so just pray for John and Linda. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to get their car paid for or not out of this, but uh, if he, he needs to talk. So you keep it in prayer, amen. He's going to talk to the insurance agents. It's kind of like I said, that's the weirdest accident report I've ever read. It's not possible for the car was heading the wrong direction for him to hit the car where they said he did. So uh, hopefully his insurance agents will be able to make some sense out of that thing. And I remember a few years ago, uh, this was way back. Um, I think it was 1994 or 95. Uh, we had our old van anybody remembers the big ugly yellow van that we had and we were driving through Columbus Circle in Manhattan and some little hot rod decided to pass us on the right and uh, he got stuck between the curb and the van and uh, the police officer said it's an accident I said but he's not supposed to pass on the right he said well it doesn't matter it's an accident don't worry about it it's not going to be on your insurance and it's not, and he didn't hurt our van at all. I mean, his car was damaged, uh, uh, but.
but uh, so just uh, pray for John and Linda that God will give them wisdom to know what to do there and keep them in prayer. Lots of weird things happen in New York City, don't they? And so uh, just pray about that if you would. All right, let's sing one more song. Let's have a little fun. Let's sing 123. Now, you got to get your tongues all loose for this song. It's got one real fast part right in the middle. It's real slow till we get to that middle part. So, 123. Come, all ye shepherds, ye children of earth. Come, ye bring greetings to yon heavenly birth. For Christ the Lord unto us is given, whom God for Savior sent down from heaven. Fear not ye him. How many of you got all that? Isn't that fun? Let's try that one again, okay? Second verse, hasten. Hasten, then hasten to Bethlehem's stall. There to see heaven descend to us all. With holy feeling there, humbling, kneeling, we will adore him, bow down before him. Worship the King. Angels and shepherds together we go. Seeking this Savior from all earthly woe. While angels winging his praises singing, hands echoes ringing, peace on earth bringing. Good will to man. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 7. I'm not sure we're going to finish this tonight, but I'm working on it, if we can. Hebrews chapter 7. And uh, the, the main thing, the point that we've got to get from Hebrews chapter 7 is the fact that we are now comparing the law versus grace. And that's where this fellow, Melchizedek, comes into the, the uh, picture here. And we're just going to start under 7, subpoint 7C, the conclusions. We just want to understand, we want to uh, get the comparisons that are being made here in the first 18 verses of this uh, chapter in the book of Hebrews. And if you get a normal commentary and you start reading through the book of Hebrews or you look up in a Bible dictionary, uh, look up Melchizedek, it's going to have just a little blurb. And what most commentators do is they're writing, they write on all the easy stuff and then they come to a hard part like chapter 7, two or three sentences and they're in chapter 8 and 9 and 10 where it's a little easier to, to wade through the material here. But we're going we're gonna to try to get through this thing and we just have to understand that Melchizedek, as a priest, was greater than Abraham who had the promises. That God was going to establish another priest after the order of Melchizedek 
that demands the superseding or the overriding of the priesthood that was established under the law. If we change the priesthood, we now no longer have need of the law. Now, this was one of the great problems. If you'll read the book of Acts, uh, the Jewish people, when they heard the message of Jesus, one of the constant things was he came to get rid of Moses and the prophets. How many of you remember that from your reading in the book of Acts in our Sunday school time? That came up time and time again. And Hebrews chapter 7, again, God's switchboard. He's putting everything into connection here. Jesus did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. There's a difference. How many of you have ever paid off a loan? You've, you've borrowed something and you've paid it off. Raise your hands. It's okay to admit you have good credit in church. We're not, we're not looking around. I read an article the other day on e-giving uh, where you set up on your website where you can take donations and credit cards. We're not going to do that. Uh, we believe that people ought to give an offering unto the Lord. Amen. And um, we want you more than we do your tithe. Amen. We want you to be here. And so, but this whole thing that is going on here is you've paid that loan off. Has the loan company ever called you after your final payment and said, you owe us more money? Anybody ever have that happen? If they are, you need to call um, whoever the new attorney general of New York State and report them. Amen? Uh, because that's dishonest credit practices. Once the loan is paid off, there's nothing more to owe on the loan. It's finished. Once the law was satisfied, there is no more penalty under the law. And yet, how many religions are there out there today trying to give you an opportunity to pay for again what Jesus has already paid for on the cross. That's what you do when you try to earn your way to heaven by doing good works. You cannot pay for something once it's been paid for. And that's where Melchizedek comes in, is God established him, made like unto the Son of God, to separate a different priesthood because under the law there is no perfection. There is no complete sacrifice for sins under the law. How often does Yom Kippur come on the Jewish calendar? Does anybody know? Once a year. Since Moses. Once a year. That's a lot of years. Moses lived about 1,400 years before Christ. 1,400 Yom Kippur's before Jesus Christ was born. Another 33 or so, depending on which calendar you use, until Jesus Christ died and rose again. 
And yet every year the Jewish people celebrate the Day of Atonement. Why? Because the law demands a remembrance of sin every year. Melchizedek, its priesthood, offers a one-time sacrifice for all sin forever. Do you see the difference? That's what Hebrews chapter 7 is trying to teach us. The conclusions about the first half of this chapter as we deal with this man Melchizedek is not that Melchizedek himself is such an important person, though he is, but there's a lot we don't know about Melchizedek and we're never going to know anything more about Melchizedek because God doesn't want us to. What he wants us to understand is that there is not only the priesthood which is established by the law, but a farer and greater priesthood, an eternal priesthood, established after the order of Melchizedek. And somebody says, well, where did Melchizedek come from? We don't know. Where did he go? We don't know. Who were his parents? We don't know. When was he born? We don't know. When did he die? We don't know. How many children did he have? We don't know. Uh, no, you cannot go on websites and try to activate the DNA in your third eye uh, by saying certain words into the microphone. Some of you will remember that. I got an email uh, from some uh, poor, demented person who really thought they had something there. What we do know is that the law cannot make anyone righteous. You cannot earn your salvation things you do. I don't care how many times you show up at church. In fact, I love the way God has designed things. You can't become a member of his church until after you get saved. Amen? Then you give a public testimony of your salvation called baptism. Then you can join his church. And if you get mixed up and, and make a mistake about that thing, we'll give you the opportunity to straighten it out. Amen? Uh, because the first thing we want to do is we want to know that you're saved. Because without salvation, what do you have? Just a religion. With salvation, you have an eternal relationship with the eternal God. And so, let's just read verses 18 and 19, and we'll go on from there of chapter 7. For there, verily, there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, we're starting the second half of chapter 7. And here we have, uh, I've just titled it, The Work of Christ. We have a better hope, a better testament, a better life, a better salvation, a great and better sacrifice, and a greater and better priesthood. Everything is better with Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything is complete in him. Everything is far superior to what there was before. And the first thing that is mentioned here, and it's not by coincidence, is a better 
you go back to the end of, of chapter 6, we have this thing in, in verse uh, 18 and 19. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is, is for us entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this whole idea of hope, and we've talked about it before, it's preached whole sermons on hope. The Bible is the most hopeful book in the world. It is the only book that gives true hope. Half of the world gets up every morning wishing things were better than they are. Isn't that true? Maybe we should say three quarters of the world. Maybe we should say all the world because, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are. I mean, here in America we have uh, riches and things that most of the world doesn't have any hope of ever having. But when we wake up in the morning, what do we hope for? More. And uh, I remember David was telling me about one of the cooks. He says, oh, no, no, he's, he's Japanese. He said, this, he said, this prayer stuff, it said he doesn't work. I go money, 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 money. God never answers. Now we know why God never answers now, don't we? God's not interested in you having money. What God wants to give you money cannot buy. Amen? That is peace. That is true hope. The greatest hope in all the world is to be able to be with God. Amen? Now, some people hope they're going to be like God someday. They're going to be God someday. Well, you just go on hoping, but that's just as silly as the guy hoping for a new Cadillac every morning, right? Uh, you're not going to be God. Because God, by definition, my friend, is a singular being. It means the supreme being. So how can we have more than one God if, there's only, if, if the word God means supreme? That just shows how silly the reasoning is of people. When they say, uh, the Mormon faith is one that says, you're going to be your own God, having your own planet. Now, how can you be just like God if the definition of the word God is the supreme being, the unique, the top being? It, it, it By its definition means there only can be one. Amen? And so we live in a world that is just full of foolish hope. we meet Jesus. That's the better hope. The hope wherewith we can draw nigh to God. The hope that we can approach to the holy God and that he will recognize us and not vaporize us. Amen? You ever think about that? Why does God want to put up with us? Does that make any sense at all? I mean, how many of you didn't want to put up with what you did this week? 
had a problem putting up with yourself, huh? I mean, most of our hands would be up if we were honest with ourselves, wouldn't it? And yet God wants us to approach unto Him. That is our hope, amen? And so we look, it says that hope, in verse 19, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. To be close to God. To have Him recognize you. Isn't that incredible? I mean, if we were all assembled together in Washington, D.C., and the president stepped out on the balcony there at the east uh, side of the White House or whatever, and he looked over and said, Hey, there's Ted Monsoor. Come up here. We'd all be going, Ooh, who are you? How did he? Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be impressive? And yet we're talking about drawing nigh to the God of heaven. Having him know us by name. In fact, Jesus said, he's counted the number of hairs that are upon your head. Can you imagine that? He knows more about you than you do. I love what my pastor, Brother Thompson, says. He knows everything about me. And he still loves me. That is a better hope. Amen. Now let's look at verse 19, uh, verse 20. It says, And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much better was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Now, we divide our Bible into the Old and the New Testaments, do we not? And there are many people say, well, why do we call it an Old and a New Testament? Because that's what God calls it. The Old Testament is God's law. The New Testament is God's grace. The Old Testament was a testament of 613 laws. Every one of them had penalty attached to them because that's what law is for. We only have one law today love the Lord thy God with all thy heart we could say well we have a second one love thy neighbor as thyself but the simple truth of the matter is this is the love of God hereby do we know that we love the children of God when we what keep his commandments if I want to love another human being what do I do be obedient to God in my personal life and I will automatically love other people. I can't help it. Now, it's not the kind of love that the world defines as love. It's not just a warm, ushy-gushy feeling inside for everyone. 
because true love is to share the truth of God with another human being. Amen? And as I'm obedient to God's word, I am more able to share that truth. And that testament is that Jesus paid it all. The Old Testament was the promise. There will come someone who will pay the price for sins. The New Testament is Jesus has come and has paid the price for all sins. One was a testament of someday. The other is a testament of a completely finished work. The promise that God gave Adam and Eve as they stood outside the Garden of Eden was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is a better testament. And that promise was made in Psalm 110 in verse 4. And it's quoted right here. The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want us to stop and to think of the priesthood in the Old Testament. How many remember the two sons of Aaron? Does anybody remember what happened to them? They offered strange fire before the Lord. The Bible says fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. Nadab and Abihu. It says there, you read the text, that they were carried away by their brethren in their robes. Their robes were not burnt, but they were. Because they defiled God's holiness. How many of you remember the story of Eli? Eli had two sons that were just absolutely wicked men in every sense of the word. And God said, I'm going to, uh, the references are in your outline here in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 14. It says that the sin, the iniquity of the house of Eli would not be purged forever. When Solomon became the king, it was the great-great-grandson of Eli who was the high priest. But he had gone after Abathar, the other, um, Abijah, I'm sorry, the other son of David. And Solomon said, because you did not wait for God to make the decision who was the next king, but followed another man who was not going to be the next king. He says, you pack your bags and go home. You're not going to operate as a priest of the Most High God in the temple because of your sins in not following the king that God had established in Israel, which was Solomon. And it tells us there in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 27, that this was done that the word of the prophecy against the house of Eli might be fulfilled, that his family would be put out of the priesthood. This is serious stuff. Sariah, who was the chief high priest 
when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Jerusalem for the last time. He came in, and the captain of his host rounded him up and everybody else and took him to the city where the Nebuchadnezzar was waiting, and he was killed. There was no high priest. In fact, for the next 70 years, and the references are in here, there was nothing at the temple because the temple was burned and destroyed. Does that mean that everyone during that 70-year period went to hell because there was no temple, because there was no mercy seat to sprinkle the blood on on the day of Yom Kippur? Does that mean men like Daniel could not be saved because the temple was not there? Absolutely not. Salvation is always by grace through faith in the Scripture. And as we look here, there were times Caiaphas was the high priest in the days when Jesus walked the face of this earth. But was Caiaphas a believer in God? Was he a believer in the Bible at all? No, he was a member of the Sadducees. He didn't believe there were angels. He didn't believe there were spirits. He didn't believe in a literal word of God. You know, you go to a lot of these churches today and they'll say, well, you can't really understand the Bible because it's not meant to be taken literally. Now, the next time the doctor gives you a prescription, are you going to take it literally or are you going to spiritualize it? I, I hope you'll take it literally, amen? Otherwise, you could end up in big, big trouble. God's word was meant to be taken literally, word for word. And he is helping us understand that there were times, 70 years there, where there was no temple. Guess what? In the temple that was rebuilt by Zerubbabel and, and those in the book of Ezra, and, and later the temple of Herod was built right up over top of that original temple. That was the temple that Jesus walked upon and walked into. There was no mercy seat in the second temple. There was no Ark of the Covenant. No one has seen that. Well, what's that freak's name? Indiana Jones. Not even he's seen the Ark of the Covenant, all right? It's never been found. Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff concerning the Ark. Someone... They found a copper tablet several years ago, and with it, it had some instructions. And, uh, boy, uh, the whole Arab world went nuts. This infatata and all of this, they started digging under the Temple Mount because they believed that the Ark of the Covenant's down there somewhere. You want to know why all the suicide bombers? Because if the Jews find the ark it's absolute proof that the Quran is nothing but a book of paper that ark proves the veracity of every word in the Old Testament now do we need the ark to believe it absolutely not the signs have all been fulfilled but God is still dealing with his people Israel 
and he will deal with them after the law in a way that they will understand. And there is going to come a time in the book of Revelation, it tells us, they are going to believe that this next prince to come, the Antichrist, they're going to believe that he is their Messiah because he's going to bring peace. But what's he going to do? The Bible tells us three and a half years into that seven-year period, we call the Great Tribulation, that Antichrist is going to reveal himself as the Antichrist by walking into the temple and sitting upon the mercy seat and showing that he himself is God. Maybe they're going to find the ark. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Somebody said, well, the ark of God's in heaven. Well, the real one is. The real mercy seat in heaven is the very throne of Almighty God. But the one Moses made was a pattern. We'll get to that in chapter 8 and chapter 9. There were times that the temple was not in force. There were times when the high priest who was responsible for offering the offerings on the Day of Atonement was not even believing in the God he claimed to worship. That's why we had to have a different priest of a different priesthood. Over and above all that is in the law. It's not just a coincidence that Jesus Christ is both the king. I love that song we sing, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Behold, oh, now I'm going to forget the words. Let me just read them to you. They're, they're just so wonderful, actually, and so biblical. It says, Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. They only forgot one thing, priest but it doesn't all fit in there. But he is the king. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. That's the better hope. God left nothing to chance when it came to the issue of our salvation. If your salvation were dependent upon things that you were supposed to do, there's always a chance that you're going to make a mistake. Amen? I've met people who, who have gotten caught up in this thing and they, they're depending upon the words that they said because, you know, they, they, they said, well, somebody told me to pray a prayer and I prayed that prayer, but I'm not sure I said everything right. Let me tell you, it, we do not pray God into our hearts. It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's that simple. Jesus gave the story, God be merciful to me a sinner. That's all he said, amen? It's not the words. It's a transaction of your heart and Jesus Christ's finished work. And then if you believe, you're going to have to talk to God, amen? And when you ask him in faith, he does the saving forever, amen? And so we go to the next few verses here, and it says, And they truly 
were many, excuse me, they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. There were many priests because, guess what? A hundred years from now, it is very unlikely that anyone in this room is still going to be around. If we said 120 years from now, it's absolute certainty that everyone in this room is going to be somewhere else in eternity, 123 years from now. Unless you're going to set some kind of new record. I think that's the last record that was set was 123 years old. And last time I'm looking around, yeah, Esker's out of here, Philip's here, and he's really acting his age tonight. But uh, three, 123 years, he'll set the world's record for the oldest person alive, if he's still here. Chances are, we'll all be gone. It said there were many priests because they, they couldn't live forever. Wherefore, he is able, look at verse 24, I'm sorry, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost, to come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Right here it tells us he is able to save them to the uttermost. Why? Number one, he paid the price for every sin that was ever sinned. Amen? Number two, Jesus is never going to be replaced. Melchizedek was replaced. Jesus replaced him. But Jesus is not going to be replaced because he's a priest how long? Forever. Because he ever liveth. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. And again, just another connection. And, and uh, I'm only making certain connections. I mean, we could spend, we could spend the next month of Thursday nights uh, just making connections of things that are mentioned in chapter 7 alone. But we're not going to do all of that. But let's look at verse 8. It says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Look at verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. This is Jesus Christ speaking. His priesthood is unchangeable because he's never going to die again. We finish that in chapter 6. Remember that? There are people that they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. The only way you can do that is in your own heart and mind because you've already rejected what he has done on Calvary's cross. The only way you're going to be saved is by simply trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. It is an unending priesthood, one forever, because Jesus died once. And in that death, he conquered death. Death could not hold him, amen? He rose again the third day, and he ever lives. He says, I have the keys of death and hell. Remember what he told the disciples? Don't fear them that can harm the body and after that they can do not kill the body and after that they can do nothing. Fear him that after he hath killed the body hath power to cast the soul into hell. 
Fear him is what Jesus said. The only one that hath that power is Jesus Christ. You know, some people get all caught up in Peter having the keys to the kingdom. It's real simple. We'll go over this in the discipleship class when we get there. But Peter did have the keys. He opened the door for salvation to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 10, he opened the second door to the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew and you're not a Gentile, guess what? You're not alive. You don't need to be saved. You're not a human being. Because all humanity can be divided up into those two categories, and that's the way the Bible divides them under the Old Testament is by the Jew and the non-Jew, or the Jew and the Gentile. In the New Testament, the better hope, it is divided between the saved and the unsaved. Because you don't have to be a Jew to be saved, amen? You must believe in Jesus Christ. And so it tells us that he is able to save them to the uttermost. Heard a preacher preach a sermon one time from the guttermost to the uttermost. And uh, that describes some people's lives, does it not? I mean, they were living in the gutter before Jesus found them and saved them. But that's not the idea of, of here. It is going back to chapter 6 when it says, let us move on toward perfection. When it says saved to the uttermost, it means saved from every sin. Is that perfection? Yes, it is. Jesus perfectly saved you. That is the kind of perfection. But here's the only ones that get this uttermost salvation. You know, there's a lot of people that are saved from different things that never get salvation 